This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with Patrick Banger, our town manager, and this podcast is going to focus on the importance of selling elected officials and management on digital government. So Patrick, we talked in our first episode about the creation of the Digital Communications Department, but I really wanted to get into why getting the buy-in from elected officials and management is so important in order for digital initiatives to be successful. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, your vision, kind of where it started, and maybe the surprise why more cities aren't following this lead when it seems like such a logical um, thing to do when it comes to incorporating digital into government. Sure, Dana. So it, it started, as I mentioned in the first episode, in um, watching what some of the, the, what I felt like were leading edge cities around the nation and how were they were embracing the new media platforms, social media, and the digital technology to really change the paradigms in how they communicate with their residents and, and going beyond that, uh, how they're using that technology and data analytics to actually um, predict what the residents' needs are or actually be ahead of what their needs are uh, and put some of that data that we collect as part of our uh, regular duties and, and services we deliver, but we've never really done anything with up to that point. And so, uh, as I'd mentioned, New York City and Mayor Bloomberg and, and obviously his background in the media empire greatly influenced the direction New York City was taking in. I really thought that they were doing it uh, in the most um, uh, progressive way. And so in coming to Gilbert and understanding that this type of technology and this approach is certainly scalable, you don't have to be a city of the size of New York City to embrace all of the things they've done and the approach they've taken, it really felt to me like that was clearly the path we need to take here in Gilbert, Arizona, and necessitated the creation of the, the digital government office and then the hiring of our first chief digital officer yourself, and then start this journey down this path. But... It is really, a, as I mentioned, a change in the paradigm and the thinking and the approach. And it's critical that not only that our elected officials understand the reasoning behind that, but the senior executives in the organization, because they're going to be a key part of rolling out this strategy and making it successful. And I think it is interesting because it's been about four and a half years. And I thought we would see more cities kind of follow the lead, especially on some of the to me, seem like the simpler things like social media strategy, um, you know, just finding cost-effective ways to engage residents. And I think we talk a lot about, you know, the cost of mailers, thirty to $40,000 per mailer when you can be engaging a majority of your residents on social media. And obviously that depends on the demographics that are there. But I've been so surprised at how many roadblocks other cities have you know, said they run into when they look to kind of implement this change. And so that's why we really wanted to do this episode and kind of focus on, you really do have to, and I think we talked about it a little bit in the beginning, having the buy-in, the understanding from elected officials, the mayor, um, the management, and so forth, and, you know, why that's so important. And, you know, we a lot of what we do overlaps with various departments, whether it's the IT department with technology or, you know, parks and recreation for, you know, rolling out major projects like a, you know, regional park or so forth. I found this um, 
statement on CIO.gov that says, the government must be able to deliver information and services to the American people anytime, anywhere, and on any platform or device. For far too long, agencies delivered their information in programmatic silos, missing opportunities for coordination or collaborative partnerships. And that really stuck with me because I think what we're really trying to do here is very common in the, pri in the private sector, but you just don't see this as much in the public sector. And I think it is in great part due to the silos that exist. So what made you think that when you came to Gilbert, something like this or digital initiatives in general could even be successful here? Well, again, it started with getting that buy-in from the elected officials and, and giving me the latitude to really fundamentally change the approach we were taking with uh, communications within our governmental setting and then finding the right person in you to help um, further uh, refine that thinking, that strategy, and then begin executing upon it. I think in looking at within our industry and, and what are some of those those hurdles that have existed that um, it's been slow to embrace these new technologies and these new platforms, there's probably several driving reasons behind that. I think one of them is the nature of what we do in, in uh, enforcing policies, enforcing laws, creation of policy, creation of laws. It's, it's a very structured environment in which we need to be very um, careful and meaningful as we go about delivering our services and enforcing those laws because we really do impact people's lives in very meaningful ways and at times we actually restrict um, their rights and their privileges um, based on certain actions. So there's a high degree of um, methodicalness to going about our duties and, and that can create kind of a structured mindset that well we do it this way because that's the way we should do it or it's always been done that way and, and it's not broken so why are we changing that but that's one of those things that we lack to some degree or to a large degree in the public sector that the private sector um, is is it everything circles around the customer and that feedback loop and, and you think about Getting information out to uh, our residents is the same as a business advertising its product to its customers in hopes that they will select them. And, and it is a, a tremendous tool in the private sector that keeps them so very hyper-focused on what they're doing because at any day, uh, in any given situation, your customers can stop choosing you and, and it can be very quick and instantaneous. And so if you've got a product that you want them to continue to buy, you have to understand what their needs are, what they want out of it, what your competition's doing, and, and, and staying one step ahead of that. And for uh, the private sector, these tools uh, in the instantaneous nature of getting the information out there and getting that feedback uh, from them provides for a... Um, ultra-responsive type of environment to where they can make a lot of decisions on a regular and ongoing basis to make sure they're always hitting the mark. For us, we're doing the same thing with our communications, but the, the old-school way of doing it, mailers, advertisement in newspapers and inserts, um, are costly. They are slow. They are one-way in nature. And by embracing these new tools, we can do the same thing and letting them know about what we're doing and the services or, or things that are coming up. But now we can get feedback from them. We just haven't fully embraced that yet. So that in kind of changing our mindset that every day we should be trying to be hyper-responsive to them. So even though it may not be as simple as, as shopping at a different store, you don't just sell your house 
pull your kids out of schools, change commuting patterns, move farther away from work, whatever it may be, neighbors and friends, that they'd still want to choose their city every day based on how responsive we're being to them. But it it really takes that change in mindset and, and um, understanding that um, and focus on those drivers. And, and it's just not happened to the full degree it needs to yet. Mm-hmm. I think the customer service piece is really interesting because I always say we have to go where our customers are. And I think about how often I check my mail and I think, you know, I talk to others and they say maybe once a week and mostly it's junk mail and it ends up in the trash. And so thinking about reaching them in new and different ways, you know, to me is far more effective. Plus, like you said, it's instantaneous. If I post something on social media now, you know, I can get five to 10,000 people to see that before tonight, you know, before tomorrow. You can't get that, you know, even obviously with snail mail, but I don't believe that people are. Now, in some cases, we do have to do some of those, you know, traditional marketing methods when we need to kind of blanket and be sure we reach everyone. And it does, like I said, depend on the demographics. But I would argue that even our older population are on social media. I know my parents are retired and they spend a ton of time on social media, maybe more than I even do. Um, And so I'm just surprised to not see um, other cities kind of follow in that pattern and also the customer care piece of social media. So now instead of residents having to call in with a complaint, or, you know, send an email even and wait for someone to respond, they're able to go on Twitter or on Facebook and ask us a question, and we're able to respond instantly. And even if we don't have an answer for them, we can tell them we're on it and we're going to find an answer. And that, to them, is so much more rewarding than, you know, leaving a message for someone not knowing who's on the other end. And sometimes even if we say, we don't have an answer for you, but we're working on it, um, they feel, wow, my city is really there listening to me. They really care, and they're fixing a problem. And um, I just, I can't emphasize enough that customer care, customer service piece of using social media for that way to answer questions or fix problems. Um, And so, you know, I think, again, when I look at other cities, it seems like a logical thing, but a lot of times they don't have the staff to support that. They don't have, they have a traditional PIO that maybe, you know, can write press releases, but isn't so savvy when it comes to social media. And so, you know, it's a lot to think about retraining the mindset of the employees that we have to embrace technology and all things related to digital government. And so what what things have you seen hurdles kind of along the way um, that you think, you know, and I, I would say we still have some um, to get over. I still think, you know, at times those silos that you know, just happen in government, I think inevitably um, still kind of have to be broken down. And sometimes it's fear of not maybe understanding um, these changes or how to embrace social media or video or whatever technology it might be. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, we've, like you said, we've been doing it this way forever. We're just going to keep doing it this way because it's the easy yeah. way to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I still the, the single biggest thing that would bring about the change that you see in the private sector is if our citizens had to choose us, re-choose us on a regular basis. If it were just as simple as moving to the next city over that was more responsive to the residents' need, you would see a fundamental change in, in the approach to governmental services overnight, I believe. But but that's not the dynamic, and so but the challenge is still there. We still should own the responsibility of always being responsive, always meeting our citizens where they want us to be, need us to be. And and these tools allow us to do that more so than, than any time before uh, in, in the history of, of government. And so when you talk about those silos and how do we break down those silos, 
we do a very large and, and wide-ranging um, scope of services to our residents, some that, that don't, wouldn't appear that they have a lot of overlap between the two, such as water treatment or wastewater treatment and public safety, police services or fire services. And they don't always understand that even though we're doing things differently uh, for our residents, we're still all serving the same residents. And there are consistent messages, there's, there's consistent platforms we're all using to be effective in those roles. And if we can understand that all of our success is mutually dependent on one another in big and small ways, sometimes obvious and not so obvious ways, we'll get more teamwork and collaboration in, in getting the job done. And so when you talk about the resistance to embracing social media, um, I, I certainly couldn't speak in regards to the motivations of, of why it's not, but sometimes it feels like, um, you know, don't ask a question if you don't want to hear what the answer is, and, and maybe that um, they're a little afraid of what they would get back. Maybe they're afraid that they would get overwhelmed by the amount of information coming in, and then they would appear like they're not being responsive or you asked us for our opinion, and now you're re not responding to it. And so you certainly need to wade into these waters with a good strategy, a good plan of action, because you don't want to set yourself up to where now your residents feel like, well, you just did it for show. You don't really want to hear from me. Um, so those are all legitimate concerns. And, and again, um, with the right type of, of structure in their, their digital government office can be that source of support for all the departments and divisions so that they do that right. And it is 24-7. I think that's one thing we've learned is, you know, if a resident does want an answer, and, you know, this isn't a typical government schedule of coming to your, you know, your desk every day between 9 and 5, if a resident needs an answer on Saturday in the middle of the day, there needs to be someone there to respond. And once you've done that, I've, I have a lot of people say to me, once you open up that can of worms, it's expected. It is. It is expected. And again, to me, coming from the news business, a 24-hour cycle, that's the norm. But a lot of times in government, it's not. And so they say, well, if you build that expectation that you're always going to be there to respond, well, we want our residents to know that there's someone on the other end to answer questions at any time of the day and that we're going to be responsive. And like I said, if we don't have an answer, we'll get it. Um, I think you bring up an interesting point because it's not just, um, and we talked about in the statement, um, collaborative partnerships. It's not just about those internal silos that may exist um, or leveraging those relationships internally, but I think externally as well. And this is a big point I always make. I think to be successful in digital government or in digital initiatives, um, you know, we don't have big budgets. These are not, um, <laughs> anyone that works in government knows we're not, you know, we're not, we're, we're living on the taxpayer's dollar and mm -hmm. we're very mindful of that. And again, like I would argue that social is one way to save a significant amount of money when it comes to printing costs and other costs um, but I would say that also things like, you know, mobile applications, people might want to create, you know, mobile apps. And when I came here, it was, well, I don't have a budget. How am I going to do all of these things if I don't have a budget? And again, kind of ties into needing that buy-in from elected officials or other people so they will support you when you make budget requests, but also getting creative to leverage partnerships um, and collaborate with people in your community or university partners that may be nearby to try to figure out how to get creative to either make a mobile application or redesign your website or, um, you know, get launching on social media or, you know, some other big initiative. And so I think that that's 
really been key to our success here. We have um, created a program called Spark App League, which is a partnership with Arizona State University sponsored by Google. And we're going to focus our next episode entirely on Spark and the creation of that. But again, that all came from a lack of resources because we hear that a lot. And again, I hear from a lot of other cities, they want to create departments. They say, I don't have any budget. I don't have money. I don't have the staff. I don't have the resources. And so it's, you know, being creative and leveraging those partnerships, whether they're internal or external, um, to be able to create and explore new technologies. Maybe there's a mobile app developer that lives in your community who you haven't even met yet, or a university that has coding classes that would be willing to lend you their students to create a mobile app for. So um, I'm a really big believer in, you know, instead of just well, we don't have the budget for this, we can't do it. You know, looking for those ways to, you know, build those relationships or those relationships that may already exist um, to figuring out, especially in government, and keeping it low cost to kind of get what you want, even when it comes to new technology. Yeah, I agree, Dana. This is certainly not something that you need to throw money at to solve. In fact, the scarcity creates the creativity in, in finding solutions and finding partners who, um, universities with students who can learn, you know, real time, along with their their classes and create something of real value for a community or, or a lot of very civic-minded entrepreneurs who are out there that have had a lot of success in mobile application development and they want to give back and contribute to their communities. There is a myriad of resources out there if you really look and it doesn't involve hiring a lot of high-dollar consultants or bringing on a lot of, of staff um, to get that accomplished. Yeah, we get that question a lot, you know, well, how many staff must you, do you have? And I actually have less staff than when I started here. And I would argue because a lot of what we're doing is, again, finding those partnerships, looking for people to help us in the community, and, and then also getting creative, you know, using video, um, whatever it may be, to kind of storytell um, in a more effective way, I think, than writing a press release and sending it out, you know, which we've also talked about. Um, so one other piece is using video, and um, we get a lot of our council members drawn in, and I get a lot of questions also from other cities about how we kind of manage. We do treat the mayor as our spokesperson. So for most things, the mayor would be the go-to person either on camera or um, answering media requests or responding you know, to whatever issue it may be. Um, but we do get all of our council members involved and they participate in our digital state of the town, which is our annual mayoral address, which we do digitally um, in a video format. And we have all the council members participate. And I get a lot of questions about that. You know, how, how do you, you know, take in all those requests and satisfy everyone. And are you running Twitter accounts for every um, council member? We have seven here in Gilbert. And um, and so I say we have a manager's account for Twitter. We have a mayor's account for Twitter. And that's the official kind of council spokesperson. Um, but these are really important things, um, again, when you talk about getting the buy-in from elected officials. So talk to me about, I mean, you're a you know, manager and, and kind of, you know, report to the mayor and the council, but how do you continue to sell the mayor and council on um, all the kind of you know, interesting, you know, very forward-thinking initiatives that I think we have going here in Gilbert? Sure. I think that, you know, it's important to keep in mind that this is no different than um, selling your elected officials, selling your community under any kind of project we're going to undertake, whatever that may be. But what are the outcomes that we desire for our community? What are the, the measures of success that we want to have? And then how do we get there working backwards from that? And I view this as just another tool to get us towards those outcomes we all desire. 
And so if you start from that common ground of, of understanding of, of what we uh, want to see happen, they'll see how this technology and this approach plays into that and actually does a better job of advancing us toward those outcomes than the old way of doing things, that the better we understand our residents and, and what their desires are, and can be more responsive to that in um, the, the shortest loop of time possible, um, the better we're going to be and the more on target we're going to be with our job. So I've always found that um, to be successful and then helping dispel that, we, guys, we don't have to spend a fortune on this. We're not going to add a, a lot of new bodies. We're just going to do things differently than we have in the past. And, and you start small. You, you don't undertake a, a huge project or a huge initiative. Um, you start with some small wins and show them the success and show them, you know, which now... I've been involved with this for a while. The simplicity of it, it, it really is um, a much easier effort than what we've had in the past uh, in our industry. That's so true. And I think, again, like we said, cost-effective. And to us, it makes perfect sense. But I think others really struggle with still making that change when it comes to government. I know we had a chief digital officer before the White House even did. And that kind of stunned me. I mean, I go to conferences and I go around. A lot of the big cities um, have chief digital officers. And again, you know, I'm, they say, oh, I'm, I'm from Gilbert. And they Gilbert, you know, and I, I would argue that anyone um, could undertake and make this kind of change and um, really increase the way that their community communicating with their residents. I also think business attraction. We're in this unique phase of transitioning from a bedroom community, in my opinion, to a business community. And so we're growing and attracting new businesses. And this is a huge way that we're able to do this. So when we make videos or we have a digital state of the town or we have Spark App League, we have kids coming from all over the state to come to Gilbert. We're exposing Gilbert to people that have never heard of it before. And there's a lot of power in that. And you can't do that with a mailer. You can't do that with some of those traditional methods like a press release. And so, again, that PR piece of just marketing and, and you know, your brand and your name and who you are and you know, people that want to move here, people that want to go to school here, people that want to work in this community. I mean, you can't, you know, I can't stress it enough how much value there is in, you know, using social media, using video. And when you use it effectively, again, and you build those partnerships, you're, you know, increasing your brand and your name and, and the awareness of, you know, people hadn't heard of Gilbert before. We were traditionally a very small community that grew very fast, um, was a small kind of one horse town, literally, um, many years ago, and now people say Gilbert. Like this is, you know, really impressive. So I think if you put the effort in, like you said, it's not costly. It makes sense, um, but it can be difficult. What what piece of advice would you give to another manager who's listening out there who really kind of wants to make this change but doesn't know where to start? You know, it it comes down to this is communication with our residents, and and this is conversations we're having, no different than the conversations we've had in the past, whether in a town hall format or an open house to talk about a new project, maybe a new park, a new, a new road project. We're making statements. We're giving them information. They ask questions for clarification and understanding, and we give them responses to that. We're doing that now, though, uh, a thousandfold over. We're not having just one public open house twice a year, four times a year to talk about major things. We're talking about things big and small every day of the week, and, and we're giving information. 
and they're asking questions back for understanding and we're giving them clarifying information. It's just conversations we're having and it's nothing different. And so when you think about what are people's fears that get conjured up by the use of social media and you know being responsive, yes, we've, we've always had to be responsive. Um, there's a higher degree of responsiveness required to this and you need to understand that. You hear about some of the, oh gosh, what happens if you know we're, we're uh, we make a misstatement or um, something gets out there? Well, we have to be very careful in any manner of communication and form of communication to to speak clearly and not have misstatements and, and certainly maintain the professionalism and and integrity of the organization. What if there's a cyber bully? Well. You would deal with issues like that, like you deal with anybody in a, in a conversation in person with, with someone who is is not being conducive to having a conversation and a dialogue back and forth. It's, it's really no different. We're just using different channels to conduct that conversation for, and they're quicker, they're cheaper, and they're more responsive than anything we've had available to us in the past. Yeah, and we have, you know, even presidential campaigns have shown us the power of social media and, and using it for that. So you'll definitely want to join us again for the next episode where we're going to talk specifically about Spark, App League, and how it came to be. And it's a really, really amazing program, I think one of a kind nationally. So you'll definitely want to check out that episode for sure. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And until next time, be sure to engage with us on social media. You can follow us at Gilbert Yourtown on Twitter and Instagram and like us at Gilbert Town Hall on Facebook. Check out our videos at gilbertaz.gov backslash YouTube. And if you have questions or comments for us, use the hashtag govgonedigital. We'll see you next time from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. <laughs>